You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. And let me just remind you guys, let me just remind you, you may not know this, but God is doing something really, really special here. Do you guys know that? And this is not me trying to like hype up the, the, the fact that there's a lot of people here. This is not me trying to say that like something that is actually mediocre is awesome and I'm lying to you to make it look really good. I'm being 1000% transparent right now. Like I want you to know that what, God, that, that what God is doing here is super, super unique. And sometimes you don't see everything that's going on here at New Song Students because you're just one single person. I don't always see everything that's happening here on a week in and week out basis. Sometimes we come in and we leave on Wednesday nights and all we see God doing is what he's doing in us directly. And raise your hand if God is doing, doing something in you individually. Yes, I believe it. But sometimes that's all we see is just what, what God is doing in my heart. Um, and I wanna celebrate whatever he's doing in your heart. I wanna pray for more of that. But let me just tell you that you are not alone at all. God is doing some miraculous things here in New Song Students. In fact, I was thinking about this this week. We have a group me for all of our New Song Students leaders. And y'all know we got the best leaders on the planet. And we do something. We do something every single Wednesday in our group me with all of our leaders in it. After service, we share our God moments. And this is just a testimony of something we saw God do in small groups or during service whatever it may be, and I'm telling you, there is not a single week that goes by that I'm not reading these God moments on Thursday, and I'm like, that happened last night? Are you kidding me? Like, God, there's no way God did that last night, and it's it's happening, y'all. Like, every single Wednesday, God is moving miraculously here. Um, there are there are people in this room, they're receiving visions from the Lord's students. There are some of you guys that are stepping out and practicing your spiritual gifts. You're being filled by the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys are being real and vulnerable in small groups, and it's just blowing all of our leaders' minds. Like, I just want to encourage you guys. God is doing something super unique here. And I also want to clarify something. My wife, Haley, and I, we were talking about this last night. There's this word that uh, we've been talking about a lot recently this year, and we've been saying it at church. It's this R word called revival. Have you heard anybody say that recently? You've probably heard me say it or Pastor Sarah. You've probably heard somebody say it, revival. Now, what, what in the world actually is revival? Because <laughs> that's like a really cool sounding word, but sometimes we say that and we don't, we don't even know what we're talking about. Like, what is revival? Let me just kind of tell you in plain what, revive, what I think revival is. I think it's simply this. It's when the church, when we want God more than anything else. And what does scripture say? God draws near to those who draw close to him. So it's when people want him more than anything else, then he shows up and then people outside of the church, not in the church, outside of the church, start to miraculously come to know God. Lost people become found. That's what I believe revival is. And I want you to know my heart in this. I don't think this is something that we're asking for. New Song students, this is something we are living out right now. Like revival, I'm not waiting for it because it's already here right now. Like what God is doing in this room is revival. Why? 
because we want God. Do you want God, New Song students? I want God. I know you do. I want God too. And guess what? God comes where he's wanted. And he's wanted here. And so God shows up. And it just, that just makes me super excited about what God is doing here because guess what? I'm not waiting for revival. It's already here. And so I said all of that to say this. If God does something on a Wednesday night in your heart, please let us know, okay? Don't keep that to yourself. If God does something here, make sure you, you could message us on Instagram, shoot us a text. Make sure you tell your, new, your, your small group leaders if God does something in your heart, tell your peers. You guys need to be telling each other what God is doing in service here at Wednesday nights, don't let a single testimony go unsaid. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm done talking about all of that stuff. Who's ready to get in the Word tonight? Let's go. We are um, going to start off tonight similar to how we started off last week. I'm going to have you go to two passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 12 and Hebrews 13. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Not My Own, and it was awesome. Let your neighbor say, not my own. And what God, is, what God is calling us to focus on in this series are the things that you and I are given by God, but they're not for us, they're for God. The things that are given by God, and they're not ours, they're from God, they're gifts, we receive them, but they're not of our own. And we live in this, we talked about this last week, we live in this really individualistic, this really prideful time in history. And people, and I've been here before too, so I'm not trying to like shout out the, the world and say the world is so bad because I've been there before, y'all. Amen? Amen? You've been there too. But people think that they are the author and the finisher of their life, right? Have you ever heard people say like, I'm my own person? It's my body? It's my money? It's my life, my happiness, my dreams. I can do what I want with my stuff. Why? Because it's mine. It's mine. This is the mentality of the world, but we are not of this world, right? If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, you might be living with this kind of mentality that my stuff is mine, but uh, the truth is the opposite is true. Like you aren't your own. You actually do belong to somebody, right? You may have a body, you may have stuff, you may have money, you may have talents and beauty, fill in the blank with whatever you may have. You might have that, but it didn't come from you and it's not yours. And, and actually knowing this brings so much freedom to our life. When we know that nothing that we have is actually ours in the first place, it's all given to us from God, I'm telling you, it changes the way you should see everything in life. Last week, uh, we kicked off the series looking at something incredible that God gives us that is not our own, and it's an R word, another R word, lots of R words tonight. Pop quiz, what did we talk about last week? Righteousness. righteousness. We talked about righteousness. Now, if you were not here at last week's message, I know I say this a lot, but I really, really mean it this time. Please go back and hear that message, and I'm not, I'm not like, hey, I want you to hear me talk for 50 minutes. That's not why. I want you to go back. I want you to go back because we covered just how good the good news actually is. And you need to know that because there are Christians that are saved, but they'll live years and years and years with Jesus and never actually know how good they have it. Wow. 
like never actually know how good it is to be a child of God. And that's because when you are a child of God, the moment you're saved, you receive a righteousness that is not your own. And so last week's message, go back and listen to it. It was one of those words where I was talking with Haley about it and I was like, I wish I heard this message when I was in high school. Like I, I heard some pretty good messages in high school, but never, nobody ever told me like how bad sin actually was and how good Jesus actually is. Like that's something really important for you to grasp. And when you get that, man, it's a revolution in your life. So go back and check out that message. But tonight we're gonna kick off week two talking about something. I'm gonna give you the topic in just a second, but I wanna start off just like I did last week. I'm gonna read to you two passages of scripture. I'm not gonna explain them yet. I'm gonna let the word of God do the talking. I'm gonna give you the topic. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna jump into it. Sound good? Okay, Romans chapter, one, or chapter 12, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view, somebody say in view, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Great scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, next one is this. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect doing good and to share what you have for such sacrifices, key word there, I'm really emphasizing that word, sacrifices. Look at your neighbor say sacrifices. sacrifices. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Okay, not my own. What are we talking about tonight? Tonight we're talking about our bodies. Bodies, not my own. Yeah, ooh, is right. So let's pray. Get out your notes, whatever you want to do to lean in with me tonight. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this juicy word. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for meeting us here. We sense your presence in this place. And God, we just, we just keep on reminding ourselves and reminding you that we want you here. We want you here. We want your voice. We want your spirit. We want your word. And God, through this message tonight, I pray that you would open up every heart, every eye, every spirit and soul in this room to recognize that our bodies are not our own that our lives are not our own, that you want our bodies, you want our lives. And so show us what that means to live a life of sacrifice like this scripture tells us to in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, there's this Christian phrase, this Christian platitude. Have you ever heard that word before, platitude? It's a really fun word. It means like a phrase that you use flippantly. There's a Christian platitude that you've probably heard before if you've been in church for 25 minutes, okay? So I'm gonna say it, and I wanna see if you can finish it. You ready? Right. Here's the phrase. God didn't die for a religion. He died for a relationship. relationship. Yeah, you've heard that before. <laughs> Y'all know that one. Okay, let's unpack this for a second. This is a really cute Christianese phrase that we say in the church. You've probably heard a pastor say it. You've probably heard me say it before. I don't know. Maybe you've heard a small group leader say it, your grandpa, 
Uh, you've probably heard somebody, you've probably said it before. Let's just be real. You've probably said this, this phrase before, and I think it's a great phrase, but we use it flippantly. We say it, and sometimes I don't think we really know what that actually means. Now, let me just start off by saying I agree with this statement, 1,000%. God did, in fact, die for you and I not to inherit a religion, but to enter into a relationship with him. Hallelujah, yes and amen, right? Amen, church, we believe that? What I have come to notice, though, is that people have said this phrase, and I think if we're not careful, we can come to the assumption that religion is bad because it makes you do things, and relationship is good because it's easier. And which, in some sense, that's true. Like, religion is, like, it's based off works. Every other religion besides Christianity is based off of what you can do. And you do works and you follow codes and you do all of the things so that hopefully when you die or whatever happens, you go to heaven or you reach nirvana or you, you get enlightened, right? Every other religion, every other religion is based off of your works and following codes. So I agree, God did not die for us to inherit that. But the issue I have with this phrase, God didn't die for a religion, he died for a relationship is, it's not, that it's, it's not that it's untrue. My issue is that most people who say this phrase have no idea what it means to be in a relationship. People, people say this, and the assumption is that, uh, is that God, when you're in a relationship with him, you can do whatever you want because it's a relationship. Like, you can live the way you want to. You can love him the way you want to. You don't have to follow codes because God didn't give you a religion. He, he's, he's a God of relationships. So the assumption is religion is hard and bad. Relationship is good and easy. Now, New Song students, do we play around here? I'm not about to sugarcoat stuff for you, okay? I hope, I hope you are thankful for that. But um, as your pastor, man, I'll be the first to tell you and you can just ask any married person in this room. Relationships are the farthest thing from easy. Amen. <laughs> and I'm not saying relationships are bad. They're great. What I'm saying is they are not easy. Okay, we just celebrated what? Yesterday. Valentine's Day. That's right. We celebrated Valentine's Day. And you know what? Valentine's Day is fun, and it's cute, and it's nice. But our world has no idea how to celebrate love. And relationships. Yesterday was Valentine's Day, and um, it's the day our culture celebrates romantic love. Oh, oh, hello. It, we, we celebrate relationships, but our world doesn't even know how to have a good relationship, right? This is kind of funny to me. There's actually, there's actually two myths that I think kind of rise up during this time of the year, during Valentine's Day, and the first one is this. This myth is this, this myth that I I'm, I have less value in my life if I'm not in a romantic relationship, right? Yeah. Like it's Valentine's Day and if you're, if you're single, you start to feel down and sad because like all your friends have boyfriends and girlfriends and their, their life just seems so much happier than yours. Like the temptation is to feel like my life sucks because I'm not in a relationship. I don't have anybody to love, which is actually super ironic because Valentine's Day is literally named after a Christian dude who was single and celibate. Did you know that? That's what Valentine's Day came from. Like, Valentine's Day 
has re- that's evolved into this celebration of romantic love, but its origin story comes from a, a, a Christian saint who was never in a romantic relationship before. Did you know that? It's just kind of interesting. But here's what I want to say. Man, if you're in a romantic relationship, I'm happy for you. I'm in one too. I'm married. I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty stoked about that. But hey, let me just encourage you for a second. If you are not in a romantic relationship, you should enjoy your life. You should enjoy it. Because guess what? Being in a relationship is great, but it is so much harder than singleness. So much harder, straight up. And this leads me to my second myth around Valentine's Day. I was not trying to write a Valentine's Day message. It just kind of happened, okay, y'all? Second thing is this, is that love is about giving people what I want to give them. Not giving them what they want. It's about giving them what I want to give them. And you know, the hardest thing about being in a relationship with another person is that, guess what? They're another person. They're not you. That's the hardest part about being in a relationship with somebody. It's because we are all so different. We're different. We see things differently. We've all grown up differently. We're all into the same, or we're all into different things. Everybody is unique. And no matter how much you try to love somebody into your perfect image of them, they're never going to change because they are a different person than you. Are you following me? Now, keep, keep hanging in with me. I know this is kind of random, but I am going to come full circle with this. I promise you. You hanging in with me? And I think this is really hilarious. Have you ever seen those couples that have everything in common? Like, they're super similar, and you're like, man, on paper, this couple looks perfect. Have you ever seen them? Like, they're into the same things. They talk the same. They kind of act the same. I'm telling you, those are the couples that they need to be warned, y'all. Because... They're going to realize, oh, you're not like me at all. And this is what happens for every person who eventually gets married, by the way. Because when you're dating a person, you're basically just lying to them about how awesome you want to be. (laughs) And then what's going to happen, Dominique can tell you this because she just got married. Um, What's going to happen... What's going to happen is you're going to get married and you're going to be like, who are you and what did you do with the person I was engaged to? This is, this is what happens. And actually, a funny story, real quick. I'm in a romantic relationship with my wife, Haley. And Haley and I, we were, we were that couple that had everything in common. So when we were dating, we looked the same. We were both super emo looking. We, uh, we were into the same music. We kind of, we, we talked the same. We, were, we went to the same youth group. We both loved Jesus. Grew up in the same town on paper. We were totally compatible. Like we looked perfect on paper, but you know what? We got married and very quickly I realized we are very different. The way we communicate, the way we grew up, the way we give and receive love is completely different. It's completely different. And I realized this early on in our marriage because um, I would do things to try and show her that I loved her but it wasn't the way she received love. So in my family, I grew up and the way you showed love and you gave and received love is by doing things around the house, being obedient, you know, like just doing, just be a good person, okay? That's how I grew up. So Haley and I get married and I remember one day, I'm like, man, I'm gonna show Haley I love her so much. I'm gonna deep clean the whole house for her. So 
I wake up on this morning, I spend the whole morning deep cleaning the house, like the toothbrush on the toilet, the whole thing. Haley comes home, and I, I open the front door, and I'm like, hey, you notice anything about the house? And she's like, what, did you get a new shirt? No. Oh, the, ho- oh, the house is clean. Thank you. That's so sweet. And I like take her to the bathroom, and I'm like, do you see this toilet? Do you see how clean this toilet is? We could literally eat dinner off of this toilet tonight. That's how clean it is. And I'm showing her the whole house, and she's like, wow, thank you so much. That's awesome. So fast forward to that night. We are sitting, we've spent the day, or we've spent the night, like, watching TV together, sitting next to each other, um, just just doing our thing. And then at the end of the night, it's time to go to bed. So I start turning off lights. I start getting ready for bed. And Haley looks at me, and she says, hey, are you okay? What's on your heart? I I don't feel very connected to you right now. And I look at her, and I'm like, how do you not feel connected to me? I cleaned the whole house for you. We just spent two hours sitting next to each other watching our favorite show. What do you mean you don't feel connected to me? Yes, all the married dudes are like, man, Jackson, you are relating to me right now. Okay, so she's like, I don't feel connected to you. And in my head, I'm thinking, how do you, Haley, I just did so much for you. How do you not know that you are so loved by Jackson, by J.A. Wilson? And um, here's what I failed to realize. What I failed, what I failed to realize was that I was giving Haley what I thought she wanted. I wasn't giving her what she actually wanted. I was loving her the way I wanted to love her, but I wasn't giving her what gives her love. And Haley obviously was super thankful for the house. She was super thankful we got to spend time together and sit next to each other and watch a show. But you know what really helps Haley feel loved by me? It's when I talk to her. It's when I tell her what's on my heart. That's what shows her I love her, and I've, I'm, not, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm getting better at doing those things. But I say all of that to say this, because we're gonna bring this back to our relationship with God. Love starts when we stop trying to fit people in our preferences. So let's turn this back to God. I've been talking about relationships. What about our relationship with God? Well, yes, Jesus did in fact die so that we could have a relationship with God, not a religion. And that's an amazing truth. Like you are in relationship or you can be in relationship with the God of the universe. You can talk with him, you can know him, you can love him, and he wants you to know that you are loved by him. That's an amazing thing that we could just, we could just sit in that for a second, how amazing that is. But being in a relationship with God is not about loving him the way you want to love him. It's about loving him the way he wants to be loved. And so I think the question, if we're in a relationship with God, the question we need to be asking is, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? What makes God feel loved from us? If we're in a relationship with him, that means we need to not just think about the benefits that we're going to get from him. And let me just tell you, there are tons of benefits, eternal benefits to being in a relationship with God. Like you're going to be good. I hope you know that, right? You being in a relationship, you're gonna be good with God. But if we are in a relationship with God, we need to be asking ourselves, not just what I get from him, but God, what can I give you that makes you feel loved? Are you following me tonight? So let's go back to that scripture we opened up with. Romans chapter 12, here's what it says. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Okay, so 
bodies, sacrifice, that's pleasing to God. What else does it say? This is your true and proper, what's that word? Worship. Okay. Now, at first glance, um, there are two things that are super confusing about this chapter or this, this, this scripture. Number one is this. Hold on a second. I thought Jesus already paid the ultimate sacrifice. So why does it say that I need to sacrifice? That's confusing. The second confusing thing about this passage is what in the world does it mean when it says, offer your body as a living sacrifice? Like, I don't know what you think of when you hear that word living sacrifice. I think of this really dope Christian metal band in the 90s called Living Sacrifice, which is just the coolest name for a metal band, a Christian metal band. But that's what I think of. Maybe you think of like, like some creepy Mayan ritual where like somebody is literally a living sacrifice. What in the world does God want? Okay, well, let's tackle this tonight. What, is, what does God want from us? First is this, let's answer the, the sacrifice question. Does God want us to keep sacrificing stuff for things, for mercy, for his love, for relationships? No. In short, we talked about this last week. What Jesus did on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice. Amen. Amen. Jesus paid the ultimate price on the, on the cost. And Paul actually lets us know this is the case in the very beginning of the scripture. He reminds us because what does he say at the very beginning? He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. That's different than, hey, to get God's mercy, Paul says, no, in view of what you already have because of Jesus, a sacrifice should be the right response for you. Are you following me? In view, Harrison, uh, this is a theologian, he says this, whereas the heathen are prone to sacrifice in order to obtain mercy, that's every other religion, Biblical faith teaches us that divine mercy provides the basis of sacrifice as a fitting response. So because of what Jesus did, man, our fitting response should be to sacrifice because of what he did. And this is, an inc- this is exactly why last week we started off talking about the most amazing thing that Jesus did on the cross, which was what? Pay our unpayable debt. We all had an unpayable debt, literally There's no work you could do to ever pay that debt. And that's what's so incredible about the righteousness that's not our own. Do you remember this? That's why we started off this series reminding all of us there's nothing we can do in our own works to ever earn the mercy of God. So, but where do we go from there? Well, scripture tells us because of that, in view of the mercy of God, this is what we should do. So let's tackle the second question. What in the world is a living sacrifice? Because that sounds like God wants me to die, like physically die. Is that what God wants? Does he want my physical body to die? No, (laughs) that's not what God wants. What God wants, though, is this. God wants everything. God wants everything. David Guzik says this. He's talking about the body part of this scripture. He says, it's best to see the body here as a reference for our entire being, Whatever is said about our spirit, soul, and flesh and mind, we know that each of these live in our, they live in our body. When we give the body to God, the soul and the spirit go with it. Present your bodies means that God wants you, not just your work. It means you can do all kinds of work for God, but never give God yourself. So another way that we can say this is not that God wants your physical body, God wants you. 
every single part of your life. Every single part of you, God wants. And this is why that Christianese phrase that we say, you know, God didn't die for a religion, he died for a relationship. That's why this phrase, man, it's cute, it preaches really hard, but it's way harder to live that out. Why? Because yes, God did die, so you don't have to work for him. That is an amazing truth. But you are a relationship with God. You are in a relationship with God, and here's why that's hard. It's because God doesn't ask for some of your life. God asks for everything. I don't know how to say this differently. God asks for every single part of your life. He doesn't just want your church activity. He doesn't just want your spiritual disciplines. He wants your whole life, New Song students. And this, our entire life given to, to God, is what scripture says is your true and proper worship. It's when you give your whole life to him. And this is where many of us tend to struggle with our walks with God. It's because we want the title of being in a relationship with God, but we wanna do it on our terms. So we compartmentalize our walk with God and our worship. And we say, okay, worshiping God is singing a song at New Song Students. That's what worship is. Worship is going to church. Worship is reading my Bible in my bedroom at night before I go to bed. Worship is pretending like my life is okay when it's really not okay. We say that worship is these things. The only issue with that is uh, when I relate my worship to only spiritual activities, then my relationship with God becomes giving him the things I think he wants, but not what he's actually asking for. I give him the things I think he wants, like my Bible time, but not any other time. And God wants everything. Man, I've been here before. This is when we do this, when we start to compartmentalize our life, we start to look at our life in these terms, spiritual and natural. This is my spiritual stuff. This is my natural stuff. And Peter Scazzaro says this, it's easy to compartmentalize God, regulating him to Christian activities around church and our spiritual disciplines without ever thinking of him and the way we navigate our marriages. That doesn't apply to you necessarily yet. Disciplining our children, that doesn't apply to you yet. Oh, but what about this? How we spend our money, enjoy our free time, or even study for exams. When you, when you start to think about worship as only being something that happens at a church service, um, or while you're reading your Bibles, what you're doing is you compartmentalize your life. And you say, okay, this is my spiritual life. This is my spiritual stuff. I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, morning is for my prayer time, or maybe it's nighttime for you. That's my spiritual stuff. And then this is my real life, my normal life. I go to school. I'm in a relationship. Um, I hang out with these friends. I spend my money in this way. These are all of my normal life stuff. You following me? Yeah. Everything's compartmentalized. And, and, and that stuff doesn't really matter as much as long as I'm giving God the things I think he wants, like the Bible time or the church time. If I do that, then the normal stuff, it, it doesn't really matter as much. But in the same way, and I'm not trying to say all this to be mean and say that you're bad because I've been here before. In the same way that my heart is not bad when I'm trying to love Haley in the wrong way, like when, I, when Haley comes home and she sees a clean house and I'm like, hey, do you feel loved? And she doesn't, she doesn't think like I'm mean, right? She's thankful. It's not bad for me to try and love God the wrong way 
But what happens is when I don't love God the way he feels loved, then God and I miss out on the benefits of relationship. God misses, out the ben- God misses out on the benefit of being in relationship with you, and you miss out on the benefits of being in a relationship with God. Are you following me tonight? This is good preaching, y'all. And there is a, an amazing story in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where we see an Israelite king. He struggles with this, y'all. His name is King Saul. King Saul. You ever heard of him before, King Saul? King Saul is the first uh, king that Israel had as a nation, and he looks the part, y'all. He's tall, he's handsome, he's probably got some like long surfer dude hair, chiseled chin, says all the right things, probably got some, it's probably swole. Like Saul, Saul was the dude, he looked, he looked the part, but his major fault was that he never gave God what he wanted. He never gave God what God wanted. His relationship with God was not based on God's terms. It was based on his terms. He struggled because what he did, what he did and, and we'll see this in a second, is he compartmentalized his life. He compartmentalized his life. And so we're gonna see this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We see a story where he thinks he's obeying God. He thinks he's giving God what God wants and God shows up and is like, dude, you missed it, bro. So check this out. This is what happens. First Samuel chapter 15. Y'all ready to read some word tonight? Yeah. Let's go. It says, in Samuel, this is the prophet. The prophet Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I have noted what Amalek did to, to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up to Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Somebody say all. All. So God tells Samuel to go defeat this nation, destroy everything, all. Somebody say all. All. So that's that's pretty simple, right? Pretty clear instructions from God. Let's see what Saul does though. Look at this. And Saul defeated the Amalekites. Woo! Praise God. That's awesome. He obeyed. Check this out. Which is east of Egypt, verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Uh-oh. He took him alive. That's not what God told him to do. And devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Okay, so he kind of obeyed a little bit. Verse 9. But Saul and all of the people spared King Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. And all that was despised and worthless, they saved to, or they devoted to destruction. So Saul goes, and instead of doing what God says, he spares the best animals in this army. Why? Well, here's why. Because it didn't make sense for Saul, in his mind, to destroy everything. He's like, God, why would I destroy everything? There's tons of really great stuff here. It didn't make sense up here for Saul. He's in a relationship with God, but it's only built on the way he understands God. And so he doesn't obey God because it didn't make sense to him. He's like, God, why would you not want me to keep the good stuff? Like, it's good. Why would you not want me to keep that? So he he disobeys and and Saul, Saul thinks he knows what God wants. Saul's like, man, I know God. God wants, he's a sacrifice God. He just wants sacrifice. So I'm gonna do, so, I'm gonna do God a solid. 
and I'm gonna save the really dope animals. We could just have a sacrificing party for God. And he thinks he's doing this for God. Well, the prophet Samuel shows up and Saul, he thinks this is a victorious moment. Like he sees Samuel come up and he's like, what's up, dude? And Samuel is not stoked. <laughs> this is kind of like, have you ever been in a moment when you're like, you're wanting to celebrate, you should be celebrating, but like something's wrong in your family or your relationships and you just don't get to celebrate? Yeah. Have you ever been there before? Yeah. This is exactly where Saul finds himself. He's like, what's up, Samuel? Oh, oh, you mad at me. And let's see what happens. Look at this, verse 19. Samuel says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pronounce, or why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And look at what Saul says to Samuel. I have obeyed the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought back King Agag. Um, I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, they did that. The people <laughs> took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to you, God, because that's to your God, because that's what he wants, right? That's what God wants, sacrifice. And then Samuel just breaks Saul's box that he had God in. And look what he says. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as the iniquity of idolatry. Wow. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Yikes. Okay, so what are, we, what are we seeing here? Saul fails to give God what he asked for. Saul compartmentalized God. Saul assumed that God would feel super loved by having sacrifices after this awesome victory. He worshiped God, or I guess attempted to worship God based off of what he thought God wanted, but it wasn't what God asked for. New Song students, are there some areas in your life where you may be giving God what you think he wants, but you're not giving him what he asked for? Are you, are you up here on a Wednesday night and you're giving him the lifting of your hands, but like your heart is so far from the words you're even singing. And, and you think you're giving God what he wants because you're raising your hand, but your heart's not even in it. New Song students, maybe you're giving God your Sundays and your Wednesdays, and man, you're doing that faithfully, but you're not giving God your Tuesday at lunch. Wow. Like he has, no, he has no place in your Tuesday at lunch with the homies, right? Maybe, maybe you're, com you're, you're committing partial obedience to God like Saul. And so God asks you, hey, would you give all of this? And you're like, oh man, God, I wanna give, but like not all of it, so I'll give some of it. Wow. And that's the sin of partial obedience. Partial. It's a sin. And, and, and you, like Saul, maybe you find yourself, you're compartmentalizing your worship. Like this is my spiritual life. This is my natural life, and it's all in this neat little box, and so I can pull God out whenever I need to. He's just right there, but I can also put him away whenever I need to. This is what happens when we compartmentalize God. New Song students, man, we as pastors and church leaders, we sometimes, we don't say this enough to you, or we just, we sugarcoat it a little bit too much, and I don't wanna sugarcoat this to you, and I'm just gonna be straight up with you. God wants 
everything from you. God wants everything from you. When God asked Saul to sacrifice everything, guess what? God meant everything. When, when Jesus invites us to lay down our life, guess what that means? Lay down your whole life. That doesn't, and here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean God wants you to like quit your dreams of like going to college and playing sports and you need to become a pastor. <laughs> Giving God your life doesn't mean you need to turn your life somehow into like 24 seven prayer and worship. And you're just like, no, sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm too busy worshiping God right now. That's, that's not what giving God everything looks like. Giving God everything means everything I am, everything I have, everything I, I want, wherever I go, all of that is on the table. It's on the altar. And what that means is, this is crazy. I don't even know how this all works, but that means that God somehow has the ability to receive worship from us in everything that we do in everything that we do. And that means, man, everything's on the table. So if God, if I have this thing in my life and God says, hey, lay it down, sacrifice it. Okay, God, it's not even mine. It's yours. You can have it. That means if God tells you to pick something up, that's scary. Maybe like leadership or a platform or whatever it may be. It scares you a little bit. That means, God, if you say so, I'll pick it up. That's what worship looks like. Um, worship looks like this, man. God, if you say that my body is a temple and I need to flee from sexual immorality, man, that might not, that might not make sense to me. Like my whole world around me, they're all doing this stuff. They say it's fine. They, don't, they say, ah, oh, it's not a sin. You can do whatever you want with your body. And I see this in my life, but you know what worship says? Worship says, God, if you say that I should flee, I'm going to flee because it's not my body. It's not my life, it's yours, it's all on the table. It's all on the table. And, 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 and what we see in Samuel, and, or in Saul's life is, is Saul asks, or Saul doesn't give God what he asks for. And what we also see is, man, Samuel could not obey God for Saul. Like Samuel couldn't take Saul's place and obey for him. God wanted Saul's obedience. And guess what, New Song students, God wants your obedience. I can't obey God for you. I can't hear God for you. You have to do that. God wants everything from you, your whole life. And I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. My last point is this. God wants everything. Okay. Well, here's the next point. Worship God in everything. Worship God in everything. So, how in the world do you give God, like, how do you practically give God everything? Like, is that even possible to literally give God everything? How can God worship to be, how can God be worshiped in everything that I do? This is super hard for us to think about because we compartmentalize our whole life. Everything is super neat and in order. How can God be a part of everything and, and come outside of these spiritual activities that I've shut him into. Well, there's two scriptures that I think paint this beautifully for us. And we're not done yet. Can you guys lean in with me for just like seven more minutes? This scripture, I love this scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter six. You're definitely familiar with it. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? It's given to you from God. Your body is a temple. It's a church you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So do what? 
glorify God, worship God with your body. Now, this is an amazing truth. I want, you, I want you to get this tonight. No longer is the presence of God tied to a physical temple. The presence of God used to be contained in the ark, and it used to be in this place called the Holy of Holies, and this is crazy. One priest, once a year, could go into the presence of God, but the moment you are born again as a believer, what does it say? Your heart becomes the holy of holies. Your heart, your body becomes a temple. And that means wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you have the ability to worship God in and through everything. Now, maybe um, you've seen this on social media this week, maybe not. If not, there's this thing uh, going on in Kentucky right now called the Asbury Revival. Has anybody heard about this? Just raise your hands. If not, um, I'll tell you about it. It's really cool, actually. There's this college in Kentucky called Asbury, and last Wednesday, they had a, a chapel, just a, a normal worship chapel. And at the end of service, the students didn't want to leave. They just didn't want to leave worship. And so they've been in worship since last Wednesday. Like, this is happening right now. They have been worshiping for a week straight. Can you imagine if, if we did that tonight? Like, we're just like, sorry, mom and dad, I'm not going. It's the New Song Students Revival. Like, I'll see you next week. Like, how awesome would that be? <laughs> okay, but this is happening right now. Like, right now, there are college students that have been worshiping for a week straight. God is pouring out his spirit over there, and it's something we should celebrate. Man, we should be praying for them. We should be celebrating that God is encountering people, college students doing a mighty work over there. But here's an amazing truth that I want you to recognize. You don't need to go to Kentucky to experience revival. You don't need to go to Asbury. I'm, whatever has happened over there, man, praise God. That's amazing. But guess what? You don't need to go there to encounter God. You don't need to travel to some church or some conference to finally get an encounter with God because guess what? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some Y'all are not getting this. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This blows me away. You don't have to go anywhere to encounter something unique from God because wherever you go is an opportunity to worship, to give God what he wants. That's an amazing scripture. I got one more for you. Look at this. First Peter chapter two says this. You yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So not only has God made your body the temple where the presence of God lives and dwells in, he's made you a priest. You know what that means? You are the full-time pastor at your temple. You, not me. Please hear me. You are the full-time priest at your temple. And what, what, what does a priest do? A priest ministers to God and they minister to people. They offer sacrifices to God and then they minister to people. And let's go back to Saul real quick. This is so interesting. Saul... He had his life so compartmentalized, he didn't see himself as a priest. He only saw himself as a king. So what did he do? He only did king stuff. 
He didn't do priest stuff. He was like, I'm Saul, I'm the king, so I'm gonna do the king things, and I'm gonna let Samuel handle all of the God stuff. I'm gonna let Samuel do all of the God stuff. And Saul thinks he's obeying God by doing his king stuff, but he doesn't do the priest stuff. And look at what it says in verse 21. It says this. This is, uh, this is King Saul's response to Samuel. He says, but the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, Samuel. Not my God, I'm a king, I got, I got I'm too busy doing king stuff. He's your God, you do the sacrifices. And this is interesting because Saul wasn't supposed to be just a king. Saul was also supposed to be a priest. And this is the main difference we see between King Saul and King David. King Saul only saw himself as doing king stuff. King David, he saw himself as a priest. He saw himself as, I don't just do king stuff, I worship God in all of my king stuff. I worship God in everything. He didn't separate his life from this is my normal life and this is my spiritual life. Everything was intertwined. And we see this in Psalm 141, I'm almost done. He says this, oh Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Look at this. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. This is amazing. How, how is Jesus wanting us to view this in my life? Here, here's, here's what he's wanting us to see. Every heart, every church, every person is a priest, every place, an encounter. Let me, let me say that again. Every heart, a church, every person is a priest, every place, an encounter. I'm gonna say that one more time. Every heart, a church, every person, a priest, every place, an encounter. So New Song students, my question to you tonight is, man, what would it look like if you viewed every place you went to this week as a place where God can meet you? What, what would it look like if you saw yourself as a priest for the team that you're on? Like, you're not just like, you're not just the wide receiver, you're the priest. You're not just the person in our class, you're the priest. What if you saw yourself that way? What would it look like if you expected an encounter with God in your bedroom the same way you encounter God here at New Song Students? I'm here to tell you tonight, that is available to you. And that's what God wants. God doesn't just want your time here, he wants your everything. Will you give him that, New Song students? Will you be a people who give him that? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we get ready to close?